Hey everybody, welcome to Generation Church Podcast, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name's John, I'm the engagement pastor here at Generations Church. I'm sitting here with our lead pastor, Kyle Davies, today. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. We can't keep going like this. We, get, we, gotta, we gotta mix things up a little bit because you brought the teaching this week. So we can't start how we how we normally do. We gotta change <laughs> it up a little bit. We gotta flip the script. So if you've been listening to us, you know typically that John starts and then he starts firing off questions to me. Well, today you're in for a treat oh, because goodness. I get to ask John questions about his thought process, about his sermon, as we take another look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And I'm actually really excited about this today, to flip this around. It feels I, like you're the evil villain in a movie, and you're like, ha, 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 I switched oh, the script. It's so, it's so giddy. I'm so giddy today right now. It's it's fun. I'm, uh, I've been waiting for this. I had questions done at the end of John's sermon. I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to ask this one uh, when we record Goodness. this. So my first question for you, John, as you talked about a board game that we were playing, yeah, man. and I have to ask, it was Ticket to Ride, yep. and just for the point of, so that everyone who is listening knows, who won that board game, Ticket to Ride, when you, my dad, Jared, and I all played together. I mean, do we really want that to be public knowledge? Do we really want to admit yes, who won that game? Yes, you need to admit it. You need to come clean. You want to admit that your dad beat all of us. Okay, I, I thought you were going to take credit. Never mind. My dad did win, but maybe we need to strike that from this podcast. I can't believe we're admitting that right now. Yeah, so, is. John, you... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I just... I can't believe... I can't believe we said that on this thing. So, Dad, if you are listening you're welcome we are giving you public credit for We're beating us in ticket to ride jared's still a little sad since you sabotaged him and that's really was the whole point of the illustration yeah is as you sabotaged him but before we get there john it's my understanding that you have a closet full of board games so do you have a favorite board game oh gosh if i had to pick one specific one um it would actually be one I got last semester. It's based okay. off a TV show. It's the Game of Thrones board game. I I know I, down, I know a lot I of people roll. like watch Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones. Didn't like the last couple seasons. It's whatever. We cry about it. We move on. But this board game is really cool in the sense that it's kind of like Risk, but it's okay. very Game of Thronesy. Like you have the different houses, and it's not Risk in the sense that everyone's going to own a place. Like you don't have enough people to own all the different places on the map, which is really unique. And it's also a 10-round game. So at some point, it's 10 rounds and the game's going to end. It's not whoever's the last one standing. And so it's very much like manipulate um, the people around you. And like everything move you do, you have to put tokens on a board face down, and no one knows what you play because you have to fill every space you own. So you could be next to somebody, and you're like, I'm just putting a defense token here. 
And then you could flip it over and go, ha, 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 it was attack. And they had no idea. Until John, we're learning a lot about you right now. You oh, realize okay. that our they're, audience today oh, is, you, was, you threw out some manipulation, oh, some was, strategy. There was, there was some stressful times with some of our friendships back at school. It was some very rough times when you get to around seven and eight and the person you allied with the whole game, you just wrecked them from behind. Like, it was, it was bad. There was a couple of moments we got a little heated with each other. We had to ask for forgiveness and repent later and hug it out, but it's okay. Kyle, what? I'm curious. What's your favorite game? Okay, so it's probably one that you've not heard of. It is called Power Grid. And so essentially you are building power plants all across different countries. And the, the one that I've played happens to be Germany. And so you essentially build power plants and produce goods and you score points and it's very strategy. It's, it's, you think through resources and drawing cards and you're competing against one another. So it's been a long time since I've played it, but I used to have a friend uh, back in my first ministry who we used to go over to his house and we used to play all kinds of different board games. So it's like Splendor. That's where I was introduced to Seven Wonders or Ticket to Ride, but Power Grid was my favorite, probably because I think the first two times that I ever played it, I won both of them, most likely by <laughs> sheer luck. So that's my my only memory of that game is winning, really. So you just but, had a positive outlook. Yeah, a positive outlook. Every but, other game you hate because you lose, yeah, right? No, no, no. I do. Okay, the competitive nature is coming out. If you are familiar with this podcast, John likes to, to push my buttons about being competitive. We've talked about that before. So yes, that is an area of growth in my walk with Jesus. I absolutely know that. I am aware of that. But back to you, John. Okay. So <laughs> this is the first time you've been able to speak in front of Generations Church from a teaching standpoint. Yeah. How did you feel? What was what was it like to get up there and stand in front of a young church plant and preach for the first time? It's been a while since you've yeah. spoken or preached. So tell us tell us some of your thoughts on the other side of that experience. Yeah, it's kind of unique because I mean, a part of my education when I went to Kentucky Christian was I had got a preaching major degree. And so if any of you had um complaints about the sermon, hated it anyway, were really mad at me and have complaints. Um, if you want to email my professor, it is R-O-N-O-L-Y-N-N at kcu.edu. Feel free to send your, feel free to send your emails there. It. Tell him, say, hey, Rob, we are very disappointed with how you've raised John, and we'll pray for forgiveness. So no, he I'm, raised you? No, he didn't raise me. He raised me up in, like, preaching, I guess. Okay, I don't know. But, uh, no, it was super cool. It was fun for me because I got to kind of go into a different role in how I've interacted with the church. It's been a lot more relational, one-on-one uh, -on -one personal connections. I've done some of the hosting stuff, but it's very different mm. in getting up there, walking through a passage, doing some of the teaching stuff in that sense. And like you said, I haven't played the role of teaching and preaching, and it's been since like April, since it was the last time I really preached. And uh, so it's been fun. It's been unique. It's almost kind of like what you say sometimes of like ripping off a Band-Aid of mm -hmm. trying it out in one, learning this new context, this new area, and how I relate to the people out here. I have personal relationships with most of the people, mm -hmm. which is awesome. And it helps me understand of how to connect with them and stuff. But it's still 
-hmm. me getting like i've only lived here for three months yeah i grew up for 21 years in kentucky in a very different part of the country in a very different culture and so there's just some cultural norms um, that are different and so i made a couple jokes of saying y'all in the sermon and some different things and like I, I was serious. Like those are some little things that are different, mm -hmm. but even some big overlying things of um, preconceived notions in which people have because the culture we're in is different. Um, some of the way in which people view the Bible, Scripture, Christianity—it's very different. Some of the cultures, mm -hmm. and so for me, that was kind of neat. Uh, kind of navigating some of that, seeing how people responded to it. Did anyone connect with it? I didn't get any tomatoes thrown at me, so that's that's a good thing. That is a good thing. We were yeah. we were grateful to see that because that would have been a pain to clean up. Yeah, might have been a little entertaining, but I, <laughs> I, I think as a lead pastor, I got some responses from individuals that were honestly kind of shocked that I was it wasn't a Sunday off for me. It wasn't I wasn't not going to be there, and John was preaching, and one of the reasons that. I've I had you preach, and because frankly, it's it's a good thing for me to sit under the teaching of the word myself, and it's also good to hear for or even for let me say it this way: it's good for our church to hear different teachers and preachers because God's going to use each of us in a different way, yeah. and we need to be reminded that the soul. Now, all the knowledge of biblical wisdom and understanding does not reside in my head. And so when I stand <laughs> for me to be the only one who stands up and teaches and preaches uh, is ultimately undermining to God's kingdom and ultimately uh, destructive to our church body because God has gifted others in our church to teach and speak and to look at God's word and share how they're seeing it. Uh, both apply to their own life, but also how they see it apply to our, our church and our culture that we're in. And so for me, it was a great experience to be able to have you stand up, preach, to bring about just the communication of the word and apply it to our context with me in the room so that I really hope those who are listening, who are in our church community, they can understand that it's a good thing that we have other speakers, and it's okay. It's not a Sunday off for me. I yeah. actually get to get to exercise my other gifts as part of the gathering. Yeah, and so I, I look forward to many more Sundays when you're going to speak, <laughs> and we have others come yeah. in and communicate. It's so you you begin to unpack this idea of being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. And that comes out of Colossians 1, verse 13. Yeah. And then I give you one verse. There's, there's a lot there with there, some of the terms. There's a lot there. And so transferred, that's one of the key words that you hit on. Yeah. Where are we transferred? Where are we moved to? Yeah, so this word transfer is very unique in how it's presented here. And it's not transferred, it's connected. There's two verbs here. There's this rescue and transfer that are very um, connected and kind of parallel along with each other. It's this concept of rescue, relocate, rescue, transfer, rescue, transport. And where we're being, the whole transport is funneled around domain of darkness and then the kingdom of the son he loves. It's back in the verse before he says the internal inheritance, the mm. light. 
you get this parallel of this light versus dark. I don't know if you've ever like watched a movie, maybe Star Wars, and heard this parallel of light versus dark. Mm. It's a very common um, parallel in our culture of dark spiritual forces, the badness, the evil, the corruptness, the sinfulness, and then the light is the perfect good, um, peace, joy, like what the good things, mm. you know. And so almost in here, what you see Paul saying is that, um, I love this quote, uh, got it from commentary, you have no idea who the quote was from, and it said, the true and ultimate rescue comes not in physical return to the land, but in spiritual redemption from sin through Christ. It's not mm. this like physical um, transference, and we talked about this, and we kind of <laughs> joked about it. You don't see someone get baptized, accepted into Jesus and everything, and they're mysteriously, physically transported out of the water, and it's like, where'd they go? It's not this like physical transference. It's a spiritual transference of us being transferred from the domain of darkness, the sinfulness, uh, the sinful nature in which we had, the brokenness, the corruption in which we had from how God originally created us into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom which he invites us into and he transfers us and he rescues us into this kingdom and where we can find the light that is Jesus and where we are as um, Paul and Jesus described, a new creation. Mm. We are reformed in Jesus. His righteousness is in place of ours. His righteousness comes over us, and we are seen from God as we are seen through the lens of Christ's righteousness and not through our sin anymore. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're not, you're not talking about a physical, being moved to a new physical space you're yeah. talking about a new spiritual reality. And so mm. there is a clear before where we, apart from Jesus, can be in some ways rule-driven, are under this, this frame or this lens of darkness, however we would want to frame that yes. up. But Jesus brings us out of that. And instead of being in this darkness, whether it's a state of mind, internal desires, or just the spiritual reality where we're enemies with God, you're saying that now we're united with Christ, we, we're in his kingdom, there is a new inheritance based on the prior verse. Is that, is yeah. that correct? Did yeah. I understand your connection yeah. there? In the, I think the most important thing in which we see this drawn out all the way from verse 9 through this passage is that it's God who does this. Mm. It's God who rescues us. It's God who enables us and qualifies us through this rescue. Mm. There's a book that I read. It's called Get Real. And there's a moment in there where the author has this illustration of this kind of concept. And it basically describes us in this world as though in this dark, slimy, tar pit almost. Mm. And he uses this illustration of when we cry out to Jesus to rescue us and save us from this world, we put our faith and trust in him. He doesn't just stand up above, looking down into the pit saying, oh, come on, climb out. He doesn't just lay down a rope. No, he comes down into the slimy, tar, nasty pit and grabs us and takes us out, mm. and he works with us. It's a God who came to us and made a way. He physically came to us in the midst of this broken domain of darkness world in which mm -hmm. we talk about to bring us into this kingdom. Mm. Now why, so if that, that's the case, this comes in the context of Paul praying. 
Why is he praying for them to remember this, to focus on this? What is the connection between Paul praying this over the Colossian church and them understanding this actually being rescued and transferred? So, yeah, let me just ask, why is Paul (laughs) praying for them to remember they have been rescued and transferred? Mm. So as we track through this prayer, I think there's two things in which we see before this. Uh, One, Paul prays. And we talked about this a little while ago. And this whole wisdom is a um, a knowledge applied, like knowing what it looks like to take the uh, priorities of Jesus, his characteristics, who Jesus was, and apply that to our own life. We see Paul talk about that in taking this wisdom and applying it to our walk so we walk worthy of God. Um, and we bear fruit and others around us will see this. Um, he also encourages us to be strengthened by God. It's God who strengthens us mm. to endure in this domain of darkness, to have peace and patience and joy here because God has qualified and enabled us for the inheritance to come. And he gets to this verse and I think it's one of the kind of this foundational reminder of saying that listen, it's not us. It's not what we're able to do. It's not our achievements. It's never been us that's able to reach this righteousness. It is God who has rescued us Mm. and transferred us into his kingdom. He has rescued us from the brokenness and brought us into perfection. He's brought us into his kingdom, his light away from the darkness. But experientially, we, we don't always feel that or experience that. And so it seems like Paul is saying that God does this, but yet when we look around... We're not, we don't, we don't see this kingdom of light. We don't see just some castle that emanates light. I'm thinking of Disney Plus imaging, (laughs) you know, the castle at the start of, you know, all the old Disney shows where it's like the thing goes over the top and it radiates. It's like, we don't, we don't see that somewhere physically on the earth. And so we move from one place to another. And you said a moment ago that it was really a spiritual reality. Mm -hmm. And so, how will we recognize when we're in a place of spiritual darkness versus when we're in a place of spiritual light in the kingdom of the Son mm-hmm. He loves? How will we be able to identify, one, where we're at, and remember that if we're true believers, that we're actually in, in another? What's, mm-hmm. what's some differentiation there? That's a, that's a good question. I like that. Because it kind of brings me to um, kind of where some of my study has been recently into some of the wisdom literature. Okay. Um, and the reason why I say that is because one of the things that we find about the world in which we're in, and one of the toughest parts about this concept of a spiritual transformation and rescue, is that in our present physical reality, we still deal with brokenness. We still see loved ones go through sickness. We um, not guarantee we're going to keep our jobs. Some people will lose their job. Um, we'll have houses burned down. People will get stuff stolen. Like we, there's still this brokenness that happens to us because we're in a world that is unpredictable, unexplainable sometimes as to why bad things are happening. Mm. And one of the things in which, if you ever read the book of Proverbs, uh, one of the biggest encouragements I'd give you is to not view it as a promise but rather as um, almost an example or as a guideline as um, 
Would a probability be a good word for that? Probability, yeah. And so really what you see in there in Proverbs is you see them say, now what it looks like to live a God-fearing life, to live in the wisdom of God is to do this, and this is the blessing that'll come. Where it'll say the wise man does this, and this is what he reaps. The mm. foolish man does this, and this is the darkness he reaps. It uses this as almost as an exemplar of saying the foolish does this, and there's judgment and punishment. The wise does this, and there's blessing and reward. And it's not saying that this is always how it's going to play out, because mm. let's be real, no matter how good we are and how Jesus-y we are, there's still moments in which we find brokenness, and it goes, why is this happening? Where is God's blessing in this moment? Mm -hmm. And that's where I brought up this book of Ecclesiastes. And I love it, because on the first take, this book is really dark and kind of sad because it opens and ends with a bookend of saying everything is meaningless that's what you want your kids to read right you know that's what you want your kids to read in the bible but really his core concept and what he's getting there is saying that this world is temporary mm. this world everything in this world the possessions in which we're able to make the money the house the car everything that we're able to collect physically and tangibly will one day be washed away and it'll be forgotten the only things that are for certain is the end judgment in God mm. in that time and where we know that we have a and it's more of this hope and you know some people will say like oh gosh he's saying the only thing for certain is death that's really sad no what he's saying is we have a hope that the one thing that is guaranteed is that even in death we have a God who has rescued us, who has mm. transferred us into his kingdom. So it's not that we're going to die and we're done or whatever. No, we have an internal inheritance in the light and the perfection. Mm. And so what you're saying here and what you're asking is how in this world, when we do not see the results that sometimes people would expect and expect the blessings that come in what we read and hear about, like, oh, God blesses you when you do good. Sometimes it doesn't mm. work like that. And it's, and it's tough, and it's a thing to wrestle yeah. with, and it's okay yeah. to wrestle in that moment. Yeah. But what you're able to cling to is a God who has, who has rescued and transferred you spiritually, and the way in which you're able to do that and have hope in that, and really I think one of the most crucial things is forming community. Mm. And that's why I love about what we're doing here with generations is that we're forming community and relations that aren't just meeting on Sunday, that are meeting throughout the week, that are able to care and invest in each other's lives. So when we have friends and family who go through surgery, who go through brokenness, who have stuff stolen, who are going through life trauma, I mean, Kyle, I had an uncomfortable phone call today, and you were with me. We're able to talk through it and work through it. And I believe that's how we see yeah. Jesus' hope in the internal inheritance to come is the community of believers in which you surround yourself, who come around you in those moments when mm -hmm. life is unpredictable and where life is unexplainable. Mm -hmm. And the suffering hits the righteous man, and you're like, why am I suffering mm -hmm. in this moment? I'm following you, I'm believing in you, and yet I'm struggling. Yeah. And it's the community that r comes around you and shares that love in which is found in Jesus. Yeah. I, I think what you, what you were pointing out there is the difference between tangible and really intangible 
qualities. Because what we're not saying when we're talking about this domain of darkness is that physical things or even this earth is bad. There, like, there's not inherent bad qualities in the things of this earth. That's that's not no. what we're saying. So we want to escape from it. But what we're saying is, when you ha- when you have people in your life who cling to the same Jesus that you cling to, mm-hmm. what comes out is the intangible love, joy, long suffering, bearing one another's burdens. That that actually then bring t- some tangible blessing and result. Yeah, is is it's it's not a materialistic hope. It's a it's an eternal hope that manifests itself in tangible people and a tangible time and a tangible place. To, so that when believers, as we are faithfully present with each other, we get to experience some things that are intangible. Yeah. because you can't. You can write hope on a wall or on a piece of paper, yeah. but hope is not something you can grab onto with your mm-hmm. hand and turn it like a, you can a doorknob. No. But what? But it's there and it's present through other people who are clinging to the same Jesus that you cling to. And that's some of the uniqueness of this passage yeah. is as we're rem- removed from the darkness or the despair or the frame of reference, we're not physically removed, as you've pointed out from one place to another, but what we are reminded of is that it's God who really transfers us into a new spirituality so that we can be faithfully and physically present with others Mm -hmm. so that they can experience really the light that emanates from Jesus himself. And I love how you talked about that Paul is praying that for these Colossian believers, yeah. specifically as they face uh, the pressures mm-hmm. of the world and the culture in which they're in. Yeah. And you were able to take this concept of being transferred, of being rescued, of, of being moved, but you landed at a place of application <laughs> on Sabbath. Yes. And if someone's initially reading this passage, they may be wondering, John, how did you get from a place of spiritual transference, new creation living, mm-hmm. to Sabbath? Yeah. How did you <laughs> tell? Get, basically, yeah. just give us your your thought process as you read this passage for yourself, and you begin to see it come out in this application of Sabbath. Yeah, definitely. So really the whole core of where I believe this verse boils down to and what is at the heart of Paul here is a dependence upon God in this moment. And it's this whole construct. And Sabbath is just one of those ways in which we can place a dependence on God. It's not that Sabbath is the only way to live out this verse. Gotcha. And it's what we've been talking about in this concept of what are spiritual disciplines and what do they do for us. And last week we had this conversation where we talked about really at the core, the majority of spiritual disciplines are there to help reinforce us and reflect upon our dependence upon God. Because we see here in this verse, we can't rescue ourselves. We can't transfer ourselves, our achievements, our abilities, the things in which we personally do, do not get us to this rescue, to this transference. We don't earn our way into the kingdom by what we do. Someone's approval is never going to be enough. Someone's uh, words of affirmation or attaboy or girl, you're never going to have enough of that. You're never going to be able to experience 
pleasure enough to get to a place of this is what the good life is because it will always feel empty, which is why we've said God is the only thing that satisfies. And because he's the only thing that satisfies, because it's his perspective and his words over us of being his kids and people that he loves, that's actually what sustains us Mm. and that connection with him. And I I think it's a great connection, the fact that you brought that out in Sabbath. And so just for a point of clarification, what is Sabbath? (laughs) When people hear that, they're like, okay, maybe we're not Jewish if there's some religious background or we're... That may be a foreign word to our listeners. Yeah. Define Sabbath for me. So some people have preconceived notions and some people have never heard of this before. Really, what is at the heart of a Sabbath is for us to intentionally find time to rest from our work, from our abilities, from us trying to advance ourselves in the world and rely on God's provision. Mm. And that's what we see in the Old Testament and how we see it really play out and how God encourages people to, hey, don't go out, don't labor, don't try to uh, move yourself up in the world, don't try and achieve, don't try and make money, don't try to fill yourself with the possessions of the world and advance yourself in the status. Rather, take a time to rest. I will provide, and you are to rest and find your dependence in me, the one who provides for you. And that's how we get back to this verse, because God is the one who provides the rescue, and he provides the transference mm. into his kingdom. And that's at the heart of Sabbath, is finding our dependence in God, the one who provides. Well, in our, in our world today, it's so tempting not to rest. It's so tempting to, oh, yeah. to, to, to just keep going, to treat seven days in a week all the same. Because our culture says the reason why in which you didn't, maybe you didn't reach the good lives because you didn't try hard enough. It's very much based upon our achievements, our abilities to get ourselves to a place of success or mm-hmm. achievement. And when you fall short or you fail, people go, well, Maybe you didn't try hard enough. Maybe you didn't do this right. Maybe you weren't as successful in this ability. And they're like, maybe you need to practice more or do better here. And also in our our world, just with our online age and our gig economy, it is easier now than ever to work in the evenings, late at night. To co- work, work to do whenever, wherever. Yeah, you can work, yeah. do business in China. And so it's this understanding of our world never sleeps. Someone is always awake. Yeah. And if you're trying to do your own job in this gig economy, you're trying to hustle, you're trying to make a few extra bucks. One of the famous guys that I always talk about this is a guy named Gary V. And he's always talking mm. about man, hustle, or he talks about when he's not doing his VaynerMedia stuff. He's going to garage sales and, yeah. and collecting baseball cards and, and selling it, reselling it on eBay and making a few bucks. And, what, and what, you, what you start to feel like is, I'm just not doing enough. And so you either try to keep up with that hustle like him, mm. or you realize you can't, and then your guilt and your fear and your inability to produce – yeah. actually paralyzes you and you become less effective and less efficient in the time that you do work because yeah. you're always thinking about what you could be doing rather than taking the time to focus on the actual work and the actual relationships that are right in front of you yeah. and the time allotted. 
And that's the beautiful thing I really think about Sabbath is it says there really is a time for work and there's a time for rest. Yeah. And really the way our bodies are wired that if we don't go, if we don't rest at some point, our body will make us rest. Oh, it'll we, shut down. We yeah. actually decrease in energy level as we go throughout the week. And with no rest, we just start to work and we become less efficient and less effective because we're running on low energy. And so we got to remember that the way God has even wired us, part of God's design is to really rest. And it really is to depend on him for our income, for our finances, and even trusting him in relationships. Because it's, oh, if I, if I just, one more time with this person, maybe they'll, yeah. they'll listen to me. Maybe I'll persuade them. Or, yeah. or just one more moment here. Or, man, they're, I can't believe they're making that choice. If I just, if I just had one more conversation with them, yeah. and it's always one more, one more, or just if, or potentially maybe. And what right there is what we're starting to do is we're starting to get anxiety filled we're starting to get caught up and all the potential Mm. rather than the actual yeah and what we do in terms of sabbath is exercise our dependence on god yeah because we turn from a very me-centered uh world Mm -hmm. and we turn to a god-centered ideology where we one of our values is where we literally say spirit over self we put god's purposes and his priorities ahead of our own and daily depend on him mm. where we live, work, and play. Because it doesn't matter how good of a plan we're able to construct for our life of how to achieve this good life of what good things we're going to do, say, and all this stuff that we try and think about. What's the best thing that I can do to affect this situation to receive, to retrieve my desired outcome? And yet we are ultimately... As we said before, at the mercy of an unpredictable, unimaginable, unexplainable world. Yeah. And so when that fails, it really turns inward to, I didn't try hard enough. Mm. I didn't do this right. What could I have done different? And when we turn this around, we turn around to a God-centered um, ideology and thought process for ourselves when there is failure, when there is suffering in this mm-hmm. world. It's not that we didn't try hard enough. It's at the will of us being physically in a world that is corrupt, that is distorted from God's original Mm. plan. But we have the hope of the eternal inheritance in which we are to go into, that it's the God who we depend on, who has provided rescue and transference for us. And that's Mm. where we get into this concept of the Sabbath, where we really... And this is the toughest part of it all, is really a Sabbath to be um, effective and to be helpful in our lives is for us to really just schedule out a time. And this is, I think, one of the toughest aspects and steps to take when it comes to taking a Sabbath is literally scheduling it out mm. and putting it in your calendar, whether it's a like a physical like daily planner that you write in with a pencil, write it in with a pen every week. Yeah. Um, the couple hours, the day in which that is going to be your Sabbath, or take out your phone, whoever uses their calendar app on their phone, and literally block out a day or the couple hours or whatever you can allot for yourself to rest during the week. I understand some people aren't going to be able to devote a whole day. I get it. Everyone comes from different scenarios, mm-hmm. and dif- everyone's going through different things in life. 
Some people might be working five hour, uh, five days a week, five hours, five days a week. Some people might be working six and sometimes into their weekends. Some people have families. Some mm. people have kids. Some people have other interactions that are going on in their world that really inhibit them. And they go, honestly, I don't have a whole day I could do that. That's okay. What's it look like for you to take an evening, take a couple hours one morning a week, and really set aside some time where you find your rest and dependence in God. And really the ultimate part of rest is everyone has it a little bit different. Mm. Um, and it's going to be a little bit different for most people. Some people like to have a little bit more of conversation and connection in some of their rest. Like um, fiance Hannah, she's a lot more of a people person. For her, a part of her rest and what she enjoys is to communicate with people. Mm. For one of her things that like we do when she intentionally rests is she likes to go somewhere. Me and her, she likes to go somewhere and do something. For me, that is not rest. I don't like to go out mm. in the world and communicate with people. And like I say that, I do enjoy going and meeting people. I'm not that cynical and introvert. <laughs> I do enjoy people. But like it's not restful for mm. me. For me to allow God to fill me up, I need to be by myself in solitude and allowing just a meditation with me and God. So let me ask that. Let me push back on that a little bit. And ask this, so will you and Hannah necessarily be able to rest simultaneously? Oh, not at all. So I think that's a really important piece to remember for our listeners is everybody in your family or say, like for me, I've got three kids. For Ruth and I, we're not necessarily yeah. going to be able to rest simultaneously. For us to be able to rest and to set aside time to depend on God means we're going to have to communicate with each other yeah. and also understand what rest is for each of us. So she has to understand when I maybe go and hit a bucket of golf balls, like that is me spending some time, expending some energy, but mentally being able to, to pray throughout that time yep. or process my week or yep. just breathe. And for her, maybe it's going to the gym and being able to run so that she can recenter and refocus yeah. and remember that that her dependence, again, comes on God. But also, I, I like one of the things that she says. The reason she does that is because God has gifted her the ability to do that. Yeah. And so her just going and running is, in some ways, a praise of, thank you, God, for allowing me and giving me the strength and energy to do that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's crafts or working in your garage or tinkering around. Yeah. Sabbath isn't doing nothing, no. but, it, but it's refocusing on God, who he is, what he's done for you, and enabling you to refuel. And in order yeah. to do that and do that well, you, especially in the context of a family, you're going to have to communicate about exactly. this. And even, I think one of the most encouraging things we have in opportunity as the church, when we talk about community, is that there are going to be some people in your church community that are going to struggle with rest. Um, one, maybe they just have a really busy and hectic lifestyle. And honestly, I mean, one really practical example is think about the single parents that you have in your community. Um, really, they don't get time away from their kids. As much as they love their kids and love spending time with them, when they're at work, their kids are at school, and they come home, and basically their whole time is spent around their kids taking care of them in this stuff. The church has a beautiful opportunity to um, encourage and help single parents by saying, hey, 
once a week, how about I take your kids for two to three hours? I'll go take them to see a movie, take them to the park, we'll cook them dinner or something, and you rest, and mm. you get some time for you to do what you need to do to allow God to refill you, for you to get that rest. Because there are some people in your communities that are probably going to struggle with being able to do this tangibly. Because there's a lot of things that go on in our lives. We all have different things going on. And so really, this is a big and awesome opportunity for us to come around those in our community and help them form their dependence in a God who provides. Which means we have to be, as a church, a space where there's grace, where there's an ability to be vulnerable, where there's an opportunity, and, and a really the church to look at saying we have an opportunity to commit ourselves to one another, to care for one another, and that's an outward-looking thing. Yeah. And so when we think of rest and we think of countercultural community, to take a day off, not just in our world, but to also be a community that provides true rest and also respite, for those in our church community, that's real. That's really a countercultural community, organization, yeah. group to say that we are willing to sacrifice some of our own comfort, some of our own time, so that others can rest and recover and spend time with God. And so I think at the end of the day, our motivation for doing this is not a rule or religious practice, or this is just one more thing that we have to do. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we value Sabbath. We value caring Christian community. We value and remember that we have been transferred from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves so that we can love others because of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Please subscribe. Also, we'd love for you to share this podcast and our other social media with your family and friends. This will be a great way to hear our weekly teaching and additional conversations we're having around Generations Church. Thanks for joining us.